episode 122 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to say the alphabet backwards, unless you're me. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're beginning our three-episode alphabet series. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Cuba Libre and Carpe Diem. Then, we talk about our favorite games from the bottom third of the alphabet. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word alphabet. And now, here are your hosts, Amby and Crystal. One announcement before we hop into the episode, and that is that on January 30th, the next Tabletop Live Network event is happening over on Twitch. If you all have been following us over on Twitch, you know that we have participated in a couple of these events so far. It is a day-long streaming marathon with two-hour blocks hosted by different board game streamers, and this one is going to be a full 24 hours, which is just kind of amazing. Yeah. Pretty awesome. So we do not have our time slot yet as of the time of us recording this episode, but, you know, stay tuned, watch our social media pages, all the usual spots, and we will uh, be get, putting that information out soon. Mm-hmm. Recently, I played Cuba Libre, which is a war game designed by Jeff Grossman and Volko Runke and published by GMT Games. And it's from 2013. So this is a coin game, which is a type of war game. It stands for counterinsurgency. So C-O-I-N, all in caps. That's what coin game means. And that's like a subset of war games that are, they have a card deck of events. And you use those, like each turn is one card. I I think all of them have this mechanism. (laughs) I'm not really sure, but but at least in Cuba Libre, each card you're doing a turn and you can either do the event or do an action for your faction. So the way it works is there's one to four players for Cuba Libre, probably best with four. It's asymmetrical. So there's four different factions and the theme is it's the Cuban revolution. So there's the Batista government, there's the guerrilla terrorists, there's student guerrillas and the syndicate. Like they own the casinos and money and stuff. And each of them have different victory conditions so the government and the guerrilla terrorists are fighting over control of, of the map on Cuba. Um, not not of the areas, but control of support, which isn't like the most troops, but the most, it's like something else on there that you can do to get support or not. And then the other two factions are kind of neutral, but kind of like aligned with one or the other side sometimes. Um, and they're trying for their own things, either like the, the syndicate wants lots of casinos and money, and then the student gorillas want popular support, which is kind of like area control. So it's it's pretty complicated because there's all these different factions doing different things. I know people have said that Root is kind of like a coin game, which we have played. Yes, and we played that one yeah, together. Yeah, we played that together. And so it reminded me a little bit of Root, but also of Twilight Struggle. I actually played it just two-player. So with two-player, we we each played two factions, and we have to get both victory conditions in order to win. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I liked it better than Root. Like It felt like more asymmetry, because each person has different actions that they're doing. So like the government can put police down and stuff, and the gorillas can attack the other gorillas or the government, and then the syndicate can can't do any attack actions. They're just building casinos and like profiting with money. So their actions are all very different. So there's like the play aid with all of the different actions of each faction, which is a, 
it's four sheets basically on the play aid because it's showing all of the actions of all of the factions that you can do. So on your turn, you can do the actions or you can do the event on the event card, which is usually two events. One of them's good for one faction and one of them's bad for that faction. So like depending on who picks it, that event can be good or bad. I, I liked it a lot. It was difficult to learn. So the rule book for Cuba Libre isn't great. There's a playbook and a rule book. And in the playbook where you're supposed to learn to play, it goes over like some example turns for like the first quarter of the game, but it's supposed to teach you, but then it tells you to jump back to the rule book and reads this and then go back to the playbook and you have to jump back and forth. And it doesn't really explain it that well, but once you figure out how to play, it makes sense. And the rules are straightforward and the play play aids are really good. And the, the board has really good, like graphic design that lets you, that reminds you of what is going on. So that was good. Once you know how to play, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty easy or like straightforward to play, but like the strategies, not necessarily. So we played through the playbook for the first quarter of the game, which is doing the four player game. So with two players, it's not exactly the best strategy since it has the four players against each other. Whereas in two players, you want really like your two allies to be helping each other. <laughs> but So that was kind of funny. But as we finished the game ourselves, it was fun. We both liked it. And also the the victory conditions are different. So like there's different strategies for winning because I was the government and I had a lot of resources at the beginning. And then I had, I was like almost at my victory condition. But then in the last round, I just ran out of resources and then couldn't do much. And then he just took over and, and was able to win. So it seems like as the government, you would have to win early while you have those resources because as the game goes on you're losing the resources and the support because people didn't like the government and that's another thing it it felt pretty thematic so it's about the cuban revolution and i should know more about that history than i do since i'm half cuban but i've, I've never really liked history growing up like in school i didn't learn history that much um or i didn't like learning history but after playing Cuba Libre, it got me to look more into the Cuban Revolution history and like the events, the event cards all have are based on historical events. And then in the rule book, it explains like why that event card is in the game, like what happened in history. So that, that was pretty cool that it made me look up history and learn more about that. So I think that's a thing with war games, or at least in my experience playing this one war game so far is that they're they're pretty thematic in terms of like the event cards but plus also the actions that you're doing because you're like getting support getting troops trying to get control over the different areas but not not just by fighting but like support just by having people and manipulating that so i, I really like that it was high interaction there's like it reminded me the some of the push and pull reminded me of Twilight Struggle, and I, the reason I liked it more than Twilight Struggle and Root is because the deck of cards was not your hand; it was a shared deck with everyone, and it's all open information. So it felt like I had more control over your actions because you can either do any of your actions; you don't have to have a specific card to do your action um, or do that event. So that was cool. So yeah, if you're interested in war games you like twilight struggle and root but then you want to try like a more historical war game too then cubili ray was a good one to try it's interesting i like the mechanics 
sound interesting to me, but I'm mm-hmm. very turned off by war or historical themes generally in games. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to simulate, especially a real world war or, mm-hmm. you know, that took place. Whereas something like Root where it's in a fantasy setting, it makes me less uncomfortable with the theme. And especially Root mm-hmm. is like kind of adorable. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. like, even though you're fighting, like in, in lots of board games, you're fighting with other people, but it feels less true to life. And I think that's something that I like more is when it's, mm-hmm. yeah, when it's fantasy based, but the mechanics yeah. do sound interesting. And I do like asymmetric style games where there's, people working toward different things or with different abilities and whatnot. So yeah, I used to think I didn't really like <laughs> like war games and stuff, but I'd never played one. But yeah, like the, the, the tie in with actual history, it's like actually making me look into it, which I think is, is interesting. So, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying I will never play one of those games, mm-hmm. but I know that like, I think we all recognize that like our gaming time is generally pretty precious and like that's not the thing that I'm really like clamoring to do but Mm -hmm. with the right group of people at the right event (laughs) you know I would be willing so yeah so yeah that was Cuba Libre my first war game so we're going from a war game to a euro game I don't know what podcast this is it's (laughs) Everything's upside down, but I'm going to be talking about Carpe Diem by Stefan Feld, specifically the second edition of Carpe Diem. I mentioned this game at least once in the past, I think, because I did get to play it for the first time at Dice Tower West in 2019. And at that point, it was just the first edition of the game. But Ravensburger recently sent me a copy of the newer edition of the game. And in that edition, they have fixed some of the graphic design issues that were present in the first printing. I will touch on that a little bit more in a little bit. But Carpe Diem, like many Steffenfeld games, has a really boring theme (laughs) where you're just building up a city district with tiles that you have collected. So there's a central board that everybody's drafting tile. Well, not really drafting. You're choosing tiles from in turn order and then adding those tiles to your board. And those tiles contain a bunch of different things like different buildings and features like lakes or farm areas where you can collect resources, fountains, other things like that. And every time you place a tile, you have to place adjacent to previously placed tiles, like in a lot of tile laying games. When you place a tile, you get to collect certain things depending on what it had on it or what you've completed as a result of placing that tile. And then at the end of the round, you will be able to uh, select one of the scorecards that is on the shared board and turn in resources or collect victory points for having completed specific objectives. And it's nice because all the scorecards that you'll be playing for the entire game are laid out at the beginning and you only get to do each set of scorecards once. And only one player gets to claim each like little spot. The scorecards have markers in between one another. So when you place your thing down, you're doing two scorecards at a time, but your marker stays there for the rest of the game and no one else can go to that spot later. So if there are a certain cards that are worth a lot of points, they can be pretty hotly contested and whoever gets there first gets to do them. There's a prestige track that helps keep track of who gets to choose those scorecards first. It's really collecting resources, turning those resources in, you know, for victory points at the ends of the rounds. There's nothing super dynamically, like, spectacular about this game, but boy, oh boy, does it click. It works really well. It's relatively simple in the actions you can take. Like, it's not... Because you taught me Trajan at Mm -hmm. 
uh, BlitzCon one year, and I liked it, but there was a little bit more going on in Trajan than I was able to grok right away. Mm-hmm. Carpe Diem, I think, is more approachable as a Feld game. I, admittedly, there are a lot of Feld games I haven't played, but it's fun. The theme is boring. The artwork is kind of boring. So one of the main graphic design issues from the first edition was that the backs of the tiles were green and slightly darker green. And you had to separate them, and you couldn't because they were nearly identical. Mm-hmm. In the new one, the backs of the tiles are white and black. So oh, that, they fixed that. But... There's still some graphic design issues on the stuff on the front of the tiles, like especially on your board where you're placing things. There's these little strips around the outside of the board that show what you can get bonus scoring for at the end of the game. And they're small and some of the colors are a little bit hard to differentiate. They also have some shape differences too, but they're small enough that like at first glance, your brain doesn't immediately go, oh, I know what that is. You kind of have to think about it for a second. Mm-hmm. And the color palette does not do it any favors in that regard. It's like, oh, this one's brown and that one's tan and this one's another shade of brown. So <laughs> I I kind of wish that they had done a little bit more in that regard, but the backs of the tiles are much better and that was the main issue. They also changed the main action board. It used to have this weird crisscross star design on it and some people complained online that essentially you could just have every all the pieces moving in a circle and it would do the same thing. Like, cause you could always, when you have your piece on the board and you have to choose a tile, you can now move to the left or the right and that's it. And before it was, you were like bouncing around <laughs> the board in weird ways and it really didn't serve any purpose. And I, I guess people complained enough that they changed it. <laughs> so it didn't mean anything. I was fine with it the way it was before, but needless to say. If you like Steffenfeld, you're going to like this game. If you like dry Euro games, it's dry. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's dry. Like, you you compare this to something like Viticulture or Castell or whatever else, it's dry. Yeah. That's not bad. It just is what it is. But if you like things like, you know, Castles of Burgundy, other things like that, yes, you're going to like this game too. And I, a person who does not like dry Euros, most of the time or some of the time who knows i'm changing every day but like it's fun i like it it's great (sighs) i'm a euro game player now i know i keep saying this but yeah i know it's still i I don't know why this makes me sad why does this make me sad it doesn't make any logical sense i should just be celebrating the fact that i am a more well-rounded gamer and for whatever reason my brain doesn't want to do that (laughs) I, i don't want to encourage this I know Steffenfeld doesn't listen to our podcast, but like, Steffenfeld, stop making boring looking, boring themed games, please. Just, I don't want to tell you to keep doing this by saying the game is good, even though it is. (laughs) All right, I'm done with my rant. That's Carpe Diem. The second edition in a white box is definitely an improvement over the first edition, which was in a gray box. So look for the one in a white box and you'll be good to go. Ambie, do you remember when we were doing our tabletop live network Twitch stream recently? And I don't remember how it came up, but we discussed the fact that we knew how to recite the alphabet backwards. Well, I, I only know part of it due to a commercial that I listened to. <laughs> so I know up to T. But okay. yeah, you, you said you could do all of it. I can do the whole thing. And everybody might get to hear that later. But yes, it was a warm up in choir for me when I was in high school was the uh, reciting the alphabet backwards. So based on that fact alone, we're going to give you all, 
<laughs> We're going to give you our favorite games that start with each letter of the alphabet. And unlike the Dice Tower, from whom this idea was definitely not stolen, we're not doing 10 games for each letter because, dear God, I don't know what I would do when I got to some of these letters. Yeah. I, how? 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 If they... 10 for... Like, that's... I mean, I know that's only technically 260 games, but... Ten, you'll see very quickly, y'all, when we get to why, <laughs> why we're not doing 10 for each letter. Yeah. And but we're going backwards. We are going backwards, as inspired by the, the backwards alphabet comment. And yeah. because, at least for me, the games toward the beginning of the alphabet are better and more interesting overall. <laughs> All right, well, let's start with something that's not even in the alphabet. <laughs> we're going to also, we wanted to make it an even number for three episodes, so we have 27 total entries, which means we're doing a game that starts with a numeral as well. Mm -hmm. And so starting off my list, bottom number 27, I suppose, whatever you want to call it, is Six Nymphed. Six Nymphed is a card game where you are trying to not take points or bulls by laying cards out. Players will play cards simultaneously and then reveal them and cards will get placed into the lines that are set up on the table in numerical order. And whoever fills out the end of each line has to take all the cards from that line and take a lot of points sometimes. It is easy to play. It is fun to play online on Board Game Arena. I really like it. I've played it a bunch on there. That's Six Nymphed. My game for the numeral, I actually have a lot of these that I've played. If Wait, you... really? <laughs> no. But yeah, this is my favorite 18xx game, which is 1849, the one in Sicily. It's, it's my current favorite. They, they switch around sometimes. But yeah, this one's fun. It's a shorter one that you can play well at three players and... There's lots of things happening with timing and like the positions can change a lot. You can be in last and then get up to first. So I like it a lot. 1849. All right. My game that starts with the letter Z is Zendo. Zendo is a game where you are using deduction to try and figure out what the rule is that one of the players has selected. That player will select a rule, they make it up, and set out these colored pyramids in different colors and sizes onto the table. And they lay them out in a way that meets the rule that they've set. And then you have to take colored pyramids and set them up. And the other person will tell you whether what you've set up meets the rule or doesn't. And the other players are also doing the same thing. So you are using information from your own setup and the other players to eventually deduce what the rule is. It is relatively simple and super fun. I really like it. That's my night Z game, Zendo. I haven't played Zendo. Otherwise, it would probably be my Z game because I've only have played three Z games. <laughs> and I guess my favorite of them is Zogin, which is an oink game. It's a speed game. Like you're matching uh, items on these cards and just like saying the, the name of the weird shape as you play it down. It wasn't that fun, but <laughs> by <laughs> default, <laughs> I liked it better than the other Z games I've played. So it, it was okay. If you like like speed games, I like speed games a lot though. So, but like I have so many other speed games that are better. <laughs> so that's Zogan. Well, if if everybody wants to be disappointed by games that aren't <laughs> super great or that exciting, my Y game is gonna come in hot because it's Yahtzee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are good board games that start with the letter Y. I'm not saying that they don't exist. I just haven't played any of them. Yeah. And you know what? Admittedly, I haven't played Yahtzee in a very long time, but I had a lot of fond memories playing it as a kid. It's the role and right that everybody played mm -hmm. growing up, and it's not that bad. Truthfully, I, I don't really want to play it because there's better stuff, but like, 
You know what? That's it. Yahtzee, my Y game. Yahtzee. It's not that bad. <laughs> what a tagline. <laughs> my Y is Yggdrasil, which is a cooperative game. It was out of print for a long time and then reprinted as Yggdrasil Asgard or something, but I haven't played the new one. But yeah, it's a cooperative game that plays up to six players. It's kind of like Ghost Stories in that there's like a deck of bad people cards and you have to just like get through <laughs> and, and not lose, <laughs> get through the deck and not lose. So you're, you're beating back these Norse gods and or no, you are the Norse gods and you're beating back the bad gods. I don't know much about Norse mythology, but you're like Thor and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's pretty fun. Cooperative game with some theme, not that much theme. But it has pretty art. <laughs> so, Yggdrasil. My X game is a game I actually haven't played for a few years, but I really enjoyed when I did play it, and that's Xenoshift Onslaught. It is a cooperative deck-building game where you are fighting a whole bunch of aliens. And what's interesting about this one for me is I played the physical board game with my board game group a few times when it came out, and then I bought the app version. And I still have the app version, but I have not played it in literal years. And now that I'm talking about it, I'm kind of like, huh, I should bring that out again, because I really enjoyed playing the app version of this game when I was playing it. And just as an FYI, that is spelled Xenoshift, X-E-N-O. O-S-H-Y-F-T. So it's hard to look up. But yeah, it's my X game, just because there aren't a lot of X games that I've played. And this one, honestly, though, was a lot of fun back when I did play it. Xenoshift mm -hmm. Onslaught. I've only played three X games, so I don't really remember them that much. But I think my favorite is Xcode, which I played once <laughs> oh, a few years ago, I think. But it's a real-time cooperative game. I think it's kind of like an escape room type game, but like replayable. But I don't remember much about it. You're trying to like hack a code. I think it was really easy when I played it, but I would want to play it more. So that's Xcode. Okay. My W game will probably not surprise just about anybody who's been in the hobby board game scene for the past couple of years. That's Wingspan. I love burbs. Burbs are great. Wingspan is lovely. It's a great little engine builder card game where you're getting birds, laying eggs, feeding <laughs> them food, making more birds. It's just mm -hmm. wonderful. I love it. You all know it. That's my W game, Wingspan. Yeah. There are actually a lot of W games that I wasn't expecting that letter to have that many, but... I actually, yeah, no, this one, there were a few others for me as well that were possible here. Yeah, my favorite W is Witness, which I've talked about on the podcast many times before, I think, but that's a four-player only cooperative game where you're whispering. So it's a cooperative deduction game. You're, you're whispering clues to other people, and then, like, it goes around in a game of telephone, and you have to get all of the information. Like, each person only has some information, and then you have to answer questions individually. So that's Witness. My V game is Vegas Showdown. And no, I did not select this because I live in Las Vegas. In fact, I started playing Vegas Showdown when I got into the hobby in 2007 when I lived in Missouri. So <laughs> Vegas Showdown, I think, is one of the most underrated games that has Las Vegas or Vegas in the title. It is a bidding and tile laying game where you are bidding on different parts of a casino and then building out your casino on your player mat. And there's different types of features. You've got like gambling related things and relaxation, like restaurant lounge type things. And you're trying to connect the two ends of your casino. It's a really interesting dance of money, 
and resources and the components have gotten a lot of flack over the years for being not great. <laughs> and that's true. The components of this mm-hmm. game are not great, but the gameplay is awesome and I really love it. So that's my V game, Vegas Showdown. Yeah, that was good. Uh, my V game was Vinos, which is a Vital Lacerda Euro game where you're making wine. It's a action, not really worker placement. You have one worker and like a grid of spaces and you can move to an adjacent square. So it's a three by three grid. It's a worker so you can't, movement game. <laughs> yeah, like a worker movement game. That's and not like a if, thing, I don't know. If you move on to someone else's space, you have to pay them. So you, you kind of have to plan your actions because I think there's only 12 turns total. And you have to do multiple steps to make this wine. So like a lot of Lacerda games, there's like lots of steps in order to do something. You have to be efficient with your actions, which I really liked. I've only played it once, but I want to play I want to play it more. But yeah, that's Vinos. My U game is Unmatched from Restoration Games. Unmatched is a fighting card-based game where you have characters that are in the public domain, things like... Sinbad and Alice in Wonderland and Bigfoot and other things like that. And you get to take two of them or four of them and throw them against one another and see what happens. You have a small board with spaces on it that you move a mini along, but you're using cards to fight one another until one player is completely knocked out. The asymmetric decks are where this game really shines. Each each character plays very differently based on their decks and their companions. And I've played this now a handful of times with different characters, and it is always great. I really enjoy it. I do not have the new expansion, the Beowulf and Red Riding Hood one, but I'm very curious to try that out at some point. So that's my U game, Unmatched. I have not played Unmatched, but my U game also starts with Un, (laughs) and it's Unlock Timeless Adventures, because that's one of the big box ones that I played recently. So Unlock is an escape room style game that's replayable. It's through a deck of cards and with numbers on them. And you like you add numbers together to find like the new card that you're looking at. They're pretty thematic. And I liked the Timeless Adventures, which I think I talked about on the podcast when I played it. They felt a lot more thematic, I think. And I like that the Unlock series has been getting better and better because at the beginning I didn't like them as much. But I, I'm enjoying them a lot more now. And I would I, agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. yeah, and I like escape room type games, so, so that's Unlock Timeless Adventures. <laughs> I actually, I made a judgment call on my list, and I'm not including any escape room style oh. games anywhere in my, no, that's not that you can't, but I I would have had a couple possibly mm-hmm. on the list had I done that, so I decided to omit yeah. those. We can talk more about that later, but Unlock was a contender for me for you. My, yeah, I, I, I kept yeah. escape room style games because I was like, I, I can do that for this one now. <laughs> for sure. Totally. Yeah. I just decided to get rid of them so I wouldn't have multiple. Mm-hmm. So my T game is Tiny Epic Quest, which is my favorite of the Tiny Epic series of games. It comes in a tiny box, but it feels like a really big game when you play it. It is basically if The Legend of Zelda was a board game because you are going around, you're going through dungeons, you're fighting monsters, and you are collecting items. This was the first game that came out in the Tiny Epic series that had the item meeples that were designed, interestingly, by Emerson Matsuchi. He didn't design the game. He's the one who came up with the item meeples. (laughs) But yeah, they're little plastic meeples that have holes in them and you can slot little items into their tiny hands and it's so adorable and I love it. It's a really fun game. It's fiddly like most of the tiny epic games because the pieces are small, but I still really enjoy it and I like teaching it to people. So that's my T game, Tiny Epic Quest. T was also a pretty popular letter. I think it was one of the most popular letters for me. 
other than the number. <laughs> but it is also the letter that starts one of my favorite games, which is Tragedy Looper, which I've mentioned many times before, I think. <laughs> but Tragedy Looper is a deduction game, one versus many, and it's themed around time travel. It's like a logic puzzle, but one versus many. So one person knows the answer to the logic puzzle and is trying to actively prevent the other people from figuring out the answer, and the other people are trying to figure it out the answer by uh, doing different actions to get the characters on the board to go die or something because it's time traveling you go back and, and retry so it, it's very heavy thinky because you're you're thinking about the logic puzzle the whole time so if you have a group of people i've only played with four players who are into deduction then tragedy looper is great my s game when i when i was looking at lists of games this this is the letter that made me go oh no what have we done because <laughs> S has so many amazing games. I know, yeah. I, I, like, I have in my notes, most popular letter? <laughs> yes, I, it has to be. Like, if, if somebody asked us for a top 10 S games, that would be yeah. so easy to put together. Who knows? Maybe I'll make a list and throw it out during one of my Twitch streams or something. But I had to choose, and I struggled so hard. So then I just picked Strike because... <laughs> that was up there for me. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to have to choose. You all know about our love of Strike. I will very quickly also say that Sovereign Sky, Star Trek Ascendancy, Sagrada, Sentience, <laughs> Shipwreck, Arcana, and Starving Artists are all awesome. Okay, I'm done now. Bye! <laughs> all right. I, I don't have a list like that, but... But my favorite game of all time is Space Alert, so I mean, yeah, <laughs> that made it easy for me. I know, it's like, well, this is a great category. Sorry, yeah. everybody else. Yeah, I was scrolling through and I was like, wow, there's so many other games, but, you know, Space Alert. So that's a real-time cooperative game where you're programming movement and you really have to cooperate. It's it's tough. It's like 10, 10 minutes of the programming thing and then like 30 minutes of resolution to see what happens because it's it's a lot of schwaddle game. It's It's very complicated the highest rules explanation to playtime game that I have probably. One of these days, I'm, I'm, you're going to teach it to me and we're going to play it. It's going to happen at some point. Yes. But yeah, that's Space Alert. All right. So that's the first nine of our 27 mm. entries in our alphabetical list. Our next two episodes, unless something weird happens, will feature the, the <laughs> next thirds of the list. Yes. But we would love to hear your all's favorite games from across the alphabet shoot us a note or over in our BGG thread for this episode, feel free to drop your entire list if you want. You don't have to wait till the next two episodes come out. We want to hear the whole thing because maybe you'll help us fill out our lists for the rest of us. No, I already have mine done. I filled out the whole thing. It's done. Mine's mostly done. I haven't done an etymology segment in a little while. So here's an etymology segment for you all. It's going to be tiny. I wanted to dig into the history of the word alphabet. Have you ever thought about where the word alphabet comes from? It's actually pretty obvious once you realize it, but I don't think everybody knows. So alphabet, meaning letters of a language arranged in a customary order, originated in the 1570s from the late Latin alphabetum. That came from the Greek alphabetos, and that was made up of the words alpha and beta, which were the first two letters in the Greek alphabet. So literally, alphabet is just alpha beta. It's just the beginning of the Greek alphabet. That's basically it. So uh, it's one of those things that like seems so obvious, but I don't think I'd really ever thought about until I knew this fact whenever I learned it, you know, at some point in my life. 
When you said it was obvious, then I was like, oh, alpha beta. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, like, you just think of the word and you don't think about where it came from. So mm-hmm. that's where alphabet came from. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you like abstract strategy games and the world of Midgard, stay tuned for info coming soon about Ragnarok's, a new game from the designer of Santorini and Santorini, New York. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. Support our show and get cool perks for as little as $1 a month by visiting patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. As a patron, you'll get access to pre-edit recordings and our private Slack channel where you can chat with us and other Blitzers every day. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mount. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time... C-Y-X-W-Z-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-M-N-L-K-J-I-H-E-F-C-D-N-C-N-B-N-A Bye, everyone! Bye! Just one episode. Just one episode before we hop into the episode. No. You said that before, right? <laughs> Recently, I played Cuba Libre, which is. What was that? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I might have mentioned it at uh, earlier in the year because I did get to. Oh no no! Was that last year? Was that this year? I mean, it must have been last year because this is 2021. <laughs> well, no, no, I mean, well, but like. <laughs> My number number is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was no. like, Ambi, you glitched. <laughs> no, but you didn't. Because normally I say like number 10. <laughs> so you, you were laughing at your own joke before you I said was, it. I was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm not going to go with that, though. <laughs> no, do it. You have to leave this in. That could be a blooper. Um, (laughs) Characters that are in the common, what's it called? Like the they're they're not licensed. They're they're free. Public domain. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It also is the letter that starts one of my most favorite (laughs) games. One of my. So so Abby. Hmm. We we haven't done a fun like end of the episode like bonus thing in a while. We have lots of bloopers. <laughs> we do have some bloopers. But the thing is, I was a strange child. And <clears throat> there was a day where my sister was relentlessly poking and punching my arm. And she was my little sister. And I was annoyed by this. And so I bit her. And I, I didn't draw blood or anything. But needless to say, I got grounded in my room for two days as a result of biting my sister. You know what I spent those two days doing? What? Learning how to say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious backwards. (laughs) Like actually. Like actually. So I'm hoping that in the regular feed, you'll reverse the audio for everyone. Okay. (laughs) I'm only going to do this once. I don't know how accurate it'll be because it's literally been 25, 30 years (laughs) since this happened. So here we go. Sosodalek ipex kisset liger ferlak erpus. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> that sounded good. <laughs> I think that was it. We'll find out. Bye again. Bye. Super Halle Fresh Nil Essex Happy Elado Shorts.